0: It's been said that you don't choose your mentors, your mentors choose you. And that was definitely the case when we first met Brian Kurtz, our guest for the 219th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. We first interviewed Brian almost three years ago. And after that experience, Brian took an interest in what we were building. That led to Rob and I joining his Titans Masterclass group and three years of advice and counsel that helped guide most everything we've done since then. We asked Brian to come back and share what's changed since we last spoke on the podcast.
1: But before we dive into our interview with Brian, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground, the copywriter membership community designed to help you create a more successful copywriting business. As a member, you have access to more than 60 hours of insightful training, group coaching calls, copy teardowns and reviews, weekly creative exercises, and our exclusive print newsletter mailed directly to your home. Go to thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more.
0: Let's jump in and get caught up on what Brian's been doing for the past three years.
1: Brian, uh, welcome. Last time we chatted with you on the podcast was episode 22, and we're now nearing episode 222. We're going to be really close. Wow. I, I'm, not, wow. I'm not exactly sure what number this episode will be yet, but it's going to be pretty close to that. So it's been 200 episodes wow. since we talked to you last and. Wow.
2: There has so been. You learned how to do it after you did mine. Well,
1: we're, we're still learning. There's that will probably become <laughs> clear as we talk. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, we've had some pretty good mentors, but there has been a lot of water under the bridge in the in the last uh, you know almost three years. Um, you've had, uh, you know, we've been in in your mastermind group, one of your mastermind groups. So we've been able to hang out with you quite a bit over the last couple of years. I know you've uh, had a health scare. You know, you've done some interesting things in your business as well, and so. You know, I uh, at the risk of, of just sort of letting you go. Um, you know, what's happened over the last uh, year or two? That's uh, that's you know kind of stood out to you as uh, as the world has changed so much.
2: Yeah, I mean the world the world's a, a, a crazy place, and and not just because of COVID, but you know um, you know it's it's COVID and it's it's I mean you listed them. It's the COVID, the recession, Black Lives Matter, the Polarized politics, all of that. And frankly, you know, everything affects us um, differently. Um, you know, everybody every every person's different. But I think the thing that from from a business standpoint, I'm sure you see this too, is that what, you know, when when someone uses anything as an excuse to not do something, to to not take charge of their career or their life. it, it, that's, that's the most dangerous thing you can do. And so I'm not saying you need bad news to run a business. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, you know, I think what, and I, 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 I've written about this a bit and it's, it's, it's that when you, when you uh, dive, when, when something around you happens and changes, you tend to go really, really deep into thinking about your business. And it's not so much that, and I'll talk about you know the word of the year which is pivot but you know the the idea of of moving off where you were to something else is not the measure i don't think i think the measure is more just thinking a little bit deeper about your business and either you know go further in to you know lean into the stuff that's working um, lean out of the stuff that doesn't work and it's not so much that i you know some people have to pivot cuz you know if you're a dentist you got to do something because you can't get into people's mouths during COVID, but you know, that's, that's an obvious thing. But I think for businesses like ours, you know, yours and mine, uh, information businesses, training businesses, educational businesses, it should always be pivoting. It's, it's a lifelong pivot. And so, you know, it's, it's been a strange, you know, the last year has been crazy. Um, the last two years have also been crazy. The last, you know, 40 years have been crazy. So, um, that's a really weird way to answer that part of the question, <laughs> but I, I think, I think it's like, it's not just more of the same. It's, it's, it's basically, um, it, it's always cumulative. It's, oh, it's the difference between one year's experience for 40 years, or in your case, one year's experience for 20 years or 20, whatever, how many years you've been in the business versus a cumulative 20 years or 40 years where you're building on every year from the the wins and the and the and the education. I never say you lose. Either you win or you learn. And so um and you know the the longer I'm alive, which is, you know, I'm still hanging in there pretty good, um, you just it's 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 a wonder to to see how much you can add on to what you already had and it becomes, you know, one plus one equals three. So that's the broad base. As far as specifically, um, you know, I'm doing basically the same thing I was doing, you know, when we probably had the first um, the first interview with you guys. Um, it was, you know, an education business. I had a mastermind. I, I launched a master class, which was lower priced. And you guys were in that, which was great. Uh, now I have Titans Accelerator, which is, you know, more of a, a virtual. I think the one thing I did was predict COVID, by the way. Because in December of last year, I launched the Titans Accelerator Program, and then COVID hit, and I already had a virtual mastermind on Zoom. So, like, I, I, I knew it was going to happen, and that's why I did it. Um, well, not you're,
1: really. you're, yeah, you're I'm, a savant, Brian.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm a savant, right? Nostradamus. But, but the thing was that I, I, I had wanted to do it for a long time, and it goes back to what you know David Deutsch always says there are two times now and not now. And the fact that I made now December, last December was was critical because you know I could have launched it you know after COVID, but it, it would have wouldn't have been as as great because then COVID came, and then I was able to deliver on my book, which is Over Delivering, where I would do you know the 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 accelerator program was going to be one live call with me a month, among other benefits and i ended up doing weekly calls cuz i had nothing else to do i was home and what's the big deal another zoom call great and i can record it and i can send it out to everybody and get guests and all of a sudden i had i had titans mastermind inside titans accelerator monthly but weekly and so it so that was like a change that just happened and and it's been it's been wonderful cuz everything i do you know i I am still retired as i was the from the first podcast but i 'm retired because um i 've retired from things i don 't like to do i 'm retired from th- things i don 't do well and i 'm retired from people i don 't want to hang around with anymore and so i did i was doing that six years ago and i 'm still doing it um probably more so now than I was then
0: rob mentioned your your health scare uh, a couple of years ago now or two thousand and nineteen. Um, how has that changed your, your outlook and even the way that you're approaching business? If, if it has, uh, what has that been like as you've recovered and bounced back from that?
2: You know, a lot of people, you know, were, I mean, so I had, I had a massive stroke, um, April 10th. Um, yeah, April 10th. I should remember the date, a date that will live in infamy, April 10th, 2019, and, um, then on April, on April 9th, the interesting thing was my book came out. So I've been working on my book. And, Maybe the well, two that were was, related. That was, yeah. They, I didn't think they were going to be related when I had the stroke, but it just so happened that was the day. And so, you know, a, a, on a, on a literal sense, how it affected me was that, you know, I had to cancel like 35 podcasts that I was going on over the next m- month after that. Um, maybe that was good for the podcast and I got to rest my voice, but, um, the, 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 the thing was though, you know, I, when I, when I went down, I mean, I was, I was in my bedroom. I went into the bathroom. I kissed my wife. Good morning, walked out and collapsed. And while I was on the floor, I wasn't thinking very much, but I remember like my, my, the whole, my whole right side was, was sort of, uh, paralyzed. And I, I tried to lift my arm and it was like, it was like a hundred pound weight. Um, and I have, I have been working out, so that that's part of it too. No. So I I lift, you know, I couldn't lift my arm and then I just passed out and, you know, I, I don't have a lot of recollection of that moment. But then when I woke up and I realized, you know, I had all my faculties and, um, I mean, my kids thought I needed speech therapy, but they thought I needed speech therapy before the stroke. So I couldn't trust them either. Um, so, I, I didn't need speech therapy after the stroke. I didn't need physical therapy after the stroke. Um, I lost eyesight in my left eye. That's the only negative. Although I can still umpire as long as I don't go on the field with a patch over my eye, because that would be, I think. The, I think the uh, the people on the field would kind of say, you know, what do we want this guy? Yeah, that's, um,
1: that's the cliche. It's the perfect cliche. Yeah,
2: it is either that or a seeing eye door. or a I'm white cane. A McCain right um, but the um, you know I I, I so I, after I got up in the hospital and I, I had a couple of days to reflect I I thought about it and I didn't have like a come to Jesus moment of any kind I didn't think about oh god you know what haven't I done I got to start living now you know it's like uh, what you know my bucket list all that shit and I didn't have any of those emotions at all Um what the the one emotion that came up quickly was that you know if I had died what would be the you know what what footprint would I have left because you know we all leave a footprint you know and and it's it's funny because I'm I've always been obsessed with um obitu- reading obituaries I've been obsessed not not that I have a death wish but I I you know when when my favorite I mean it's been a, a horrible month for baseball uh, baseball players from the 50s, sixties and seventies who passed away and I'm a huge baseball fan and watching my whole childhood is is passing me by as each of these guys are dying. And so, so, and they left, you know, each of them, you know, you listen to their obituary on TV and you just see the footprint they left. Then you look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she left and everybody that, you know, whether they're famous or not famous, we all leave a footprint. Um, and so I thought about it and I said, ah, you know, I, I, I had a good career and I, 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 I had a and now I have a book I have two books but overdeliver was you know the the more important book to me because it was more of my opus of sorts and but it didn't give me the satisfaction as my footprint and then I thought about interestingly the the, the website that I developed for the book which was overdeliverbook.com and on that site um, where you know you go there it's one of those sites where you buy the book you you actually go to the site you go buy the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble you come back to the site and you download you know all these bonuses you know courses and 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 PDFs of books and and interviews and all this stuff swipe files and when i realized that that was more of my my uh, my footprint because all of the things on the overdeliverbook.com site were were um om- paid homage to my mentors and that's what i realized what my 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 footprint would be not that i don't have my own voice i don't have my own career and i'm not just you know deferring that i'm i'm only as good as everybody else that i've learned from but you know we all stand on the shoulders of mentors giants in my case i mean i've stood on the shoulders of some of the best copywriters who've ever lived some of the best marketers who've ever lived and that made my that that created my career and then as I was thinking about that, the site was my was my kind of my footprint and that that was because it was an homage to my mentors. I went a step further and I I, I thought of the movie um, Coco, which is I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a Pixar film. Um, and if you have younger kids, you might have seen it. Yeah, it's great. Sure. It's great so I've movie. seen it. It's a great movie. And, uh, it you know, you think it's for kids, but it's not. And, and it's, it's about, um, it's a, it's Mexican, Mexican film, and it's about Dia de Muertos, which is, you know, the day of the dead in, in Mexico, where they spend I think it's in November, and it's like two or three days where they just honor the dead, um, not mourn the dead, honor the dead. And so, and, and without giving away the, the the movie, I'll tell you that, you know, what the the premise is that your, the fight, your final death is when you're no longer remembered. You're as long as you're remembered, you'll always be alive, so to speak. And so that really hit me as well because um, I did my part in a big way with my book Overdeliver, where you know I had five hundred acknowledgments, which was crazy, but it was important to me to acknowledge everybody who has been a part of my career. And then I had the site for Overdeliverbook.com. And so all of these people now have like another. I was going to say another year or two of being remembered because some of them are getting forgotten. Not not some of the people on the site like Dan Kennedy or Perry Marshall, um, but there are people on the on the site you know that I I publish their books as a PDF. Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman, who you know made people listening to this this podcast might not have even known these two guys, and now I just gave them. I'll say I hate to say it this way, but I gave them a lease on life by putting them in the over deliver collection, this this bonus collection, because now they're going to be remembered and they won't have their final death. And so that's that was the thought process after my stroke. I mean, I know it's uh, I, I take a long time to answer every question. So
1: we're, we're um, used to that with you, Brian. We we're Yeah, I know. you Yeah, used to we're, we're up for that. Um,
2: but, but that was the most I mean, that but, you know, it's that was the most a meaningful thing. And then, you know, I did go like 6 months where 5 months where you know, I wasn't a basket case by any means, but you know, I was I was not I didn't know when I was going to get back to full strength and I it was it was it was difficult. Not so much, you know, for the physical, but the emotional toll it took on me. And then I just targeted a date in the future. So that was April and I knew I had I had to cancel my mastermind in in may that of of that year of 2019 and i targeted my september mastermind that i would have my event i'd be good and i you know i'd have a really great event and by targeting a date in the future that was tangible i think that's helped me get out of it too so then i started my back from the dead tour where i did i did uh i did um uh september mastermind then i went in october i spoke at um, at Info Summit for GKIC, and that was my first time on a big stage. And then in November, I did like two weeks in Arizona, where I was a speaker on a believe it or not a copywriting panel uh, at Genius Network. And then I did my event, and then I also spoke at LaunchCon for a thousand people. And uh, after I got back from that, I was exhausted and relieved at the same time because I I was back, but that was basically the journey. And, uh, you know, um, I was going to say everybody should have a stroke so they can go through that.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that, uh, but yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so Brian, um, you know, you, you mentioned standing on the shoulders of giants and in, in the back from the dead tour, and you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago and, uh, we're kind of talking over this idea that you're one of a handful, maybe only three or four people who, you know, have worked with the, the great direct response marketers of the sixties and seventies, as well as the, the next generation that came behind them, you know, in the eighties, the nineties and two thousands. And you're working with people today, which I, I, you know, again, I think is an amazing thing. So you've had this really broad wealth of experience in, in who you've talked to, but um, I wonder if I can just ask you, you know, with the, you know, honoring the dead um, or extending, you know, the memories, if you wouldn't mind just sharing maybe one lesson that you learned from from copywriters like, you know, Jim Rutz or Dick Benson or Gordon Grossman that that you mentioned.
2: God, there are so many, um, you know, I, I, it really is. I mean, I, I've got I've got quotes, as you know, of from all of them. Um, and I follow them still, even though whether they're here or not here. But, you know, I one of I mean, one of the big lessons, I mean, I have two on my wall right now, one of them from Gordon Grossman, who wasn't a copywriter. He was more of a he's the guy who was the architect of the Reader's Digest in the 60s and 70s. And then he became a consultant and he was my consultant. And he had a quote that said, first, find out if you have a business. Now, that sounds really basic and doesn't make sense. If you don't if I don't explain it, I don't think. But it, it's it's so powerful because it's it basically and, 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 and so important for the marketers of today because today because everything is so fast, you can get you can get online, you can do an email launch, you can do you can create a product so quickly and get an audience so quickly. And you wanna try to do everything at once. And first find out if you have a business isn't that you have to go slowly, but you have to go methodically. And you have to decide, okay, I have a product or service that I want to produce. And what's the minimum I have to do to prove if there's a business there? So what, what are the, you know, how many names do I have to go out to, whether it's email or direct mail or anything? What What is, how many packages or promotions or variations of a VSL do I have to test to decide if I have a business? And I see, you know, I I, I use that one a lot because a lot of, a lot of marketers today try to do everything in their launch or early on. And they they kind of get tripped up on not, you know, doing not doing a little bit more methodically. So that's a very important quote. And combined with that was Dick Benson, who was my direct mail guru, who had a quote that is as important, which is you have to believe your numbers. And so that goes into all of the aspects of, you know, if you're testing, you know, how are you defining statistical significance of your test? Are you calling it correctly both on first year and second year, either renewals or or upsells and cross-sells? So you you know if a, a promotion in year one is actually the better one after year two than the one you thought was the better one in year one? And all of those permutations of 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 the numbers, and and it's funny because I was an English major, so I am not a math person or a statistics person, but I become a slave to my number. I became a slave to my numbers at boardroom, and now I'm a slave to numbers when I'm coaching somebody or I'm working with someone in one of my mastermind groups to really understand how their how their numbers. You know, not just response rates, response rates, P and p and L, first year, second year, third year, all of that kind of stuff that I was ingrained in me um, was so important. And then another one from Marty Edelston. Um, well, it, this one this one was probably a combination of Gordon Grossman and Marty Edelston, but they um, they they both said that, and, and this was for subscriptions, they said, um, "marketers sell subscriptions, editors sell renewals." And that quote actually is pertains to anybody. It's not just subscriptions. So I could say it a different way. I could say, marketers sell." um sell the first product uh editors or inventors or innovators of the product sell renewals and the additional products so there's a linkage it's sort of like it's a linkage between acquisition and and retention which to me is like everything in in marketing and it's true it was true in you know 1960 i was i I was born in 58 so i was only 2 years old but it was you know, it, it it's 1960, but it's also 2020. It's all about you know the lifetime of a customer that's with you, how long they stay with you, how much they buy from you, how you know, and and so that to me is such a universal. And if if you're not if you're not um, uh, combining, I always say you know people say oh we got to go after cold traffic. You know, marketing to cold traffic is the only way to grow your business. And I say it's important, of course. you got to get new blood into your, into your market, into your database, into, on your list, into your online family, whatever, however you define it. So you know, marketing to cold traffic is important. But boy, everybody I've ever worked with, both past and present and, and in the future, the first thing I ask them is, who are your customers now? Who are your prospects now? What names do you own? What content do you own? what, what can we work with? And this goes to Jay Abraham, getting everything you can out of, out of all you've got. And if you've got something already, you know, dig, go go a mile deep in that before you go outside of that to the cold lists and the, and, and the cold traffic. And, and you'll learn so much by how you deal with your existing customers and prospects, and even some suspects that you have names of when you go out to completely cold lists You'll have so much more training. You'll have so much more so many more examples of what works for your product or service. So, you know, I just combined a lot of different things from a lot of different people. But those are some bottom line things that have stayed with me from the I, I went for some stuff from the earlier days than the later days, but and, and I learned a lot from a lot of copywriters too. I mean, you know, copywriters are, you know, always the most um you know, they must have the most ingenuity and creativity. And, uh, you know, what, I, what I've what i learned from them is almost like what they showed me as opposed to what they told me. Um, you know, a copywriter that understands how to go a mile deep in, in a topic before they go outside of that topic. Or if it's a new topic, they go a mile deep before they put a word on paper. Or if they go work it, at a great company, like you go to Agora and you don't write a stitch of copy for nine months because you're only doing research. That's the kind of stuff that the great copywriters are made of, including you guys. So, you know, that's this kind of stuff that I, I, I get from the copywriters and, um, you know, I, I just have so many, so many stories and lessons and, 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 and that that's really what I treasure the most about my career.
0: Can we talk more about that concept of media and owning your own media? And I know you recently wrote about BYOM, bring your own media. Can you just dig deeper into that and how copywriters can start thinking that way and taking action to own their own media, especially if they're a newer copywriter, a newer business owner?
2: It it, it ties in. It was actually a discussion I was having with my mastermind uh, before before it was like, It was actually, it started with BYOB and it wasn't bring your own beer. It was bring your own breakfast. It was like a breakfast pre, pre, before the, before the event started, I said, Hey, come on, come on zoom before it starts. And we'll just chat a lot. We'll chat with each other. And so we got, we got into some chatter. And so someone from Agora was on, on, on at that time. And, you know, they were talking about, um, this idea of, you know, being the media, like and and I, I, I let him. I wanted him to explain further, and this is the exact opposite of of always being obsessed with marketing to cold traffic. Because if you market to cold traffic the right way over what forty five or fifty years that Agora has, you end up. I'm not going to say you have all the names you ever need, but it almost feels that way, like you're sitting with you know the best names. And yeah, you still might have to go outside again to get more names, but you've got, you, you've got in your, in your, like in a basket already, all the names you need to run a business. And so by looking at that, like always looking to achieve, to have every name possible um, that you ever would need without going to the outside would be like, that would be direct marketing Nirvana, Right. You'd have every customer you ever wanted, or every prospect you ever wanted. You'd own the name, so you wouldn't have to go to ever to go to cold traffic. And of course, it's it's not a real thing because no one can own every name. But Agora is close in the financial area, not not that close, but closer than most people. So that was the concept. And then we went on and talked about, you know, from a copywriter standpoint, um, you know, a copywriter has to know the audience first. They, you know, if you look at every quote from Gary Halbert to Gene Schwartz, you know, it's always about the list. It's always about the audience. You know, they were, they were magicians, right? They, were, they could turn, they can turn copy into money better than anybody in the world. But they knew it was going to be so much easier if they really understood who they were writing to, who the audience was at a very, very deep level. You know, it's the old quote from Halbert. You know, it's not about the brilliant burger; it's about the hungry audience. And so, that it just it it, it's accentuated when you're marketing for a long time, and you have what I call marketing stamina. That you have, you're you're in the business for a long time, and you start really understanding who you're marketing to, even deeper than you did six months ago or a year ago, and that knowing those insights and also segmenting within those insights of what you know what a three-time buyer looks like versus a one-time buyer and why they're a three-time buyer and why the third purchase was $15,000 versus $1,000 those kinds of things when you dig into that and what they paid $15,000 for would give the copywriter such insight into who they're writing for it's almost becomes a one-to-one when you have Tons of names. It sort of it, it it sort of doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense. I have all the names, but I'm still going to look at them one on one almost, and and that's the concept of of being the being your being the media or bringing your own media to the party. Um, and for a copywriter, I don't know of anything that could be more insightful and important to them. Um, in, in that, the the other thing that came up in that same. Uh, bring your own break. Bring your own beer. Bring your own breakfast. Bring your own media. Was uh, bring your own pivot, because pivot is the word for for the year. I mean, everybody's pivoting, mostly because of COVID or any o- and, and and other reasons. But and and so it became a really popular word. And as we were talking about it uh, with the with a bunch of different seasoned direct marketers, they were really. It wasn't so much that they were they looked at themselves as pivoting from one thing to another. but the interesting things, and I, I think I mentioned this already, that by by all of these things going on in the world, it just made them think deeper about their business. and what looked like a pivot from the outside was just them being super creative once again. Most of them are entrepreneurs, you know, and and so maybe it was, and for some people it made the pivot was like a force creativity which meant they weren't being as creative before um, and it made me also think about when you know when when people say email is dead or facebook is dead and you know I remember when with direct mail it was always direct mail was dead um, none of those have died and they're all alive and well and the reason is that you you know it it, it is always um, you know it, it you know when when postage costs went up Every couple of years in direct mail, they thought it was the death knell for direct mail, and all I thought about was, you know, I think there are some creative things that we're going to have to do, as opposed to I'm um, I'm pivoting to a whole new business because direct mail is too expensive, and so that those kinds of things, um, and so the, but the, but the be your own media was something I didn't expect uh, to come out of that conversation, and it started with what if agora owned all the names so to speak um and then i saw some niches that did it too like robin robbins i think were you were you at the event in cleveland with with robin robbins yeah she was amazing she is amazing but her thing i think i said it at the event after she finished i said you know robin she 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 uh, caters to it professionals so that you know they it, it, it's a defined market like independent it guys and and gals who service companies for their IT. And it's like 48,000 people in the United States or something like that. Maybe it's more. I It wasn't 100,000, but let's say it's 48,000, because that's the number that came into my head. And so basically, it's like a compiled list of these 48,000 people. And she's just, she's just romancing them. And she is um, luring them with all kinds of offers. And she turns the compiled list of all the IT guys and gals into a response list. And she finds the ones at the top of that market to pay her the, the highest price that she can charge and give, her, give the most value, which I think is her, her, her producer's club, which you know they pay her, I don't know, $15,000 a year. And she's moving people to that on a regular basis. And in her case, she basically does own all, she does own the media She's not looking for new lists per se. She'll find them once in a while, but she's almost just trying to find new ways to romance the list that is, it's a finite, it's, it's finite. It's not an unlimited list. And, and so it's a fascinating thing when when you look at, at, at business that way. And the more narrow, you know, being totally dominant in a narrow niche is is always the way to be if you can.
1: Okay, let's stop for a minute here and just recap a few of the things that Brian's been sharing with us. I think there's a lot of stuff that we could definitely jump in and talk about. Um and maybe we can just hit, you know, on, on two or three things. But one of the things that jumped out at me when he talked about it are uh, is when he said there's really two times. There's now and there's not now. And when, you know, it comes down to doing something, you can either do it now or you can do it not now. And too often we make excuses for not doing things, not getting things done, not taking action, not moving forward. And I, I just, I wanted to call that out because it, it's sort of a, a construct that we can use, you know, for when are we going to do the thing that's important to us? Are we going to do it now? We're going to do it not now.
0: <laughs> I want to do it not now. Yeah. I like how that sounds. It's yeah. It would also stood out, um, you know, so much from the conversation with Brian but uh, the concept also of retiring and how he mentioned that he has retired from the things he doesn't want to do anymore, and he has retired from hanging out with the people that he doesn't want to hang out with anymore. And I was just thinking about that, and you know, I think we can all take the concept of retirement as entrepreneurs. That's, that's the benefit of what we're doing, and that we can view our time as a freelancer and entrepreneur. As a retirement of sorts, because we get to now retire from the things that we don't want to do and retire from the people that we don't want to hang out with. And we have control over those aspects of our life lives in a way that we didn't previously, um, at most of the times, especially if we're working for someone else. And so it just was a kind of a, a nice um, mindset shift for me about looking at what I'm doing now is like, hey, I kind of am retired because I get to choose what I do with my time. Um, even though I'm actively earning money like Brian is in, in his retirement.
1: Yeah, I like that concept as well. And as entrepreneurs, you know, when we own our own business, there are things that we do early on in our business that we can retire from as well, if we're doing the right thing. So if we're building our authority, if we've built a platform, or if we've created the kinds of relationships with clients that we need in order to get referrals, maybe at that point we can retire from cold pitching or from, you know, outreach uh, in other ways that might not resonate with us or that, you know, we might not love that part of the job and th- that's the cool thing is that as we build these businesses the way that feels comfortable for us we can retire from the stuff we don't like doing and lean into the stuff that you know drives our business and that we do like doing it brings brings joy to the things that we do
0: so, what do you want to retire from, Rob?
1: Well, I definitely want to retire uh, from cold pitching. <laughs> I, I actually, I have. I mean, I don't do very much cold pitching at all. It's very rare that I would do that. Um, but also, we do a lot of uh, a, a lot of calls, and it takes a lot of time. And it's not that I don't enjoy them, but I would like to retire from some of the calls in order to get more of my own time back. How about you?
0: Yeah, I, I'd say same. It's um, retiring from the busy, busy, busy crammed schedule that we've had uh, the past few years. And so I think it's just thinking about what we're offering and how we're working with people and how we can do it in a way that might not take um, back-to-back calls in our schedule three days, you know, at least three days out of the week, sometimes more than that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about this idea of retiring from the things that you don't want to do, um, it also ties into something else that Brian was talking about when he talked about having to find out if you actually have a business and the steps that you go through that. And this is something that we do a lot with our accelerator um, program you know helping people identify okay we you started this copywriting business but is there really a business there we know that other people have done this we know that there could be a business there but you need to you know figure out like can you uh, not just do the work but can you identify a niche where the value that you create is welcome and that you can charge enough for your time or for the value that you create in order to make it profitable for you. So there are a lot of things that go into that determining if you actually have a business. There's way more to copywriting than just writing copy for clients in order to really make this work for us.
0: And in addition to that, uh, you know, Brian's been, he's spoken about going deep, you know, digging a mile deep rather than spreading yourself out too thin. He talked about that at TCC IRL in 2018 in his presentation. And I think that's been something that um, is really critical, especially uh, as you're growing a business, to really look at your customers and focus on the ones that you have rather than always constantly trying to find new customers and expand and grow. You know, How can you go deeper with the community that you have and with the, the media that you're already creating?
1: Yeah, and we should point out that Brian's presentation from that IRL, uh, it's an hour-long presentation. It's available in the Copywriter Underground, and so members who are in there now uh, can listen to that as well. Um, also thought that what Brian was saying about pivoting simply equals being creative was uh, – maybe a better way of looking at that word that we've all sort of come to dread this year is everyone has pivoted in their business um, actually looking for creative ways to move forward and uh, changes that we can make in order to continue to serve our customers given all of the craziness that's happened over the last year
0: yeah and as he said we're we're always pivoting maybe maybe some of us were forced to pivot um, more or more frequently this past year because it's been difficult but um, when you go into your own business, you you have to be creative. You have to constantly innovate and think of what what to create next, how to serve in a, in a better way. And so that won't change, even if twenty twenty one is a is a better year. Oh, for please us. let twenty twenty one be um, a better year. Yeah, if it's a better, it's we still will need to operate that way and be creative in our business to to zig and zag as needed.
1: Yeah, exactly. I one hundred percent agree with that.
0: All right, let's jump back into our interview with Brian and talk a little bit about the successful pivots he's seen businesses make over the past year.
1: I like the connection between, you know, owning or being the media and this idea that we've all sort of been working through with pivots. I'm curious, Brian, because you see not just copywriter businesses, but, you know, the people in your masterminds and the people in your accelerator and other groups, people who who you coach are in all kinds of different businesses. And I'm curious if, if maybe two or three of the kinds of pivots that they've done have stood out to you. Uh. And, and I wonder if maybe you could share a couple of the ways that people have pivoted so that you know we can maybe expand our own horizons and see the possibilities for ourselves.
2: Yeah I mean one of the obvious ones um, recent pivots uh, has been you know from live events to virtual events and 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 then i I ended up writing about it and I I, I got carried away because I, I looked at I, I made, basically made a list of all of the benefits of live over, Um, virtual. And then I made an equally sized list of of virtual, the advantages of virtual over live. And if two years ago, you were in a mastermind, and you would say, I I had to go virtual, I couldn't go live. Or if you had a big enrollment type event where, you know, it's a big 1000 2000 5000 person event, where you're enrolling them in a in an offer, um, you know, like a, a PLF live or, a tribe live or um ask live or any of those russell brunsons event funnel packers so if you if if you had told any of those people you know 2 or 3 years ago you're not going to have live events you're going to have to do it virtually they probably wouldn't have thought about it the way they thought about it once they saw it coming and so it's been amazing i mean i i know of virtual enrollment events that are are exceeding um, the sales numbers from their previous live events with lower costs. So it's even a higher profit margin as well. And I, I have a blog post about this. I think it's called, um, the, 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 I know the alternative title was, is it live or is it Memorex? But then I'm dating myself, if anybody doesn't remember those commercials. But the, I think the title was uh, um, Information, Inspiration, or Just Lunch. And it was all about, and I and it, it's, it's an interesting post just where I just kind of listed all the things. So that's a really big one. And again, it wasn't just that the people that are doing the best at it were the first movers, the ones who didn't have to do it, but they did it anyway when they saw something on the horizon. That would, and I remember um, the first guy who did it is, is a member of a mastermind I'm in. And he just, I mean, it was, it was just phenomenal uh, of how he did it. Um, But then there were all the, I mean, and then in the small, one of the small entrepreneurial businesses, like, you know, uh, yoga, I had one in in one of my groups. um, He's a, uh, a Shigong, martial arts specialist. And, you know, he, his business was like nowhere because it was all, it was all done in person. And, You know, that was a real pivot for him because he didn't have the resources that, you know, the companies I mentioned before have to go from um, uh, live to virtual. And but he did it, too, because he realized that you can create an experience online that's just as good if you, you know, think about what a live event would be for someone sitting at their at their desk or in their basement or, you know maybe lying in bed versus being in a, in a, you know, in a, in an, at an event. So that was, that was one really big one, but there's, you know, there, there are so many, um, I call them clicks on the dial, which is how, you know, hot seats are done. Uh, it's something that I think John Carlton talks about and, and Gary Halbert talked about it, that we all, we all have our clicks on a dial and, you know, you guys do hot seats in your groups, both of you. And so, you know that when someone comes up with an issue or a problem, you have to take go into the recesses of your brain and take your dial and click it, click, 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 click. And then you hit that click that corresponds to what their issue is, what their problem might be, what their challenge might be. And it's funny, the same clicks are coming up even during a time of pivoting, if, if you call it a pivot, because they're talking about, well... I was I was marketing to this big group and I couldn't get to them, you know, because I because of COVID and this and that. And I I said, well, why are you going to such a wide group? You can get to a narrower group that's more targeted, and you don't need. And I don't know, I don't remember the exact example, but it was so it was a group that you could get to even easier online than you could you know live, and they could just go narrower and still make more money, or at the same money. And so those are the kinds of things that happen when you start taking your business inside. It's it's sort of like, you know, you say everybody says think outside the box. I think David Deutsch says think inside the box. Because your box is way bigger than you think. Everybody's box is way bigger. They don't give themselves enough credit to be able to solve bigger problems from what they already know. And then when you do that, you're gonna pick up stuff in addition. So you'll get your box will get bigger and then you're still inside the box. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it as opposed to always going outside for the new whiz-bang, for the new idea, for the new funnel, for the new whatever. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not being, being old-fashioned when I say that. I always think that you should go for the new, but we all have so many assets at our fingertips just by being in business, by, by being alive and mindful of what's going on around us, the with, the with the again, the people that were standing on the shoulders of our peers, um, you know when you guys were, were doing your copy accelerator and figuring out the levels of your program, you were you know, we spent a lot of time on the phone talking about and I didn't have all the answers, but I had a lot of experience with it. and I was able to give you a lot of choices and some you took and some you didn't. But that's the way to do it because you know you get the experience of so many other people, but you were inside your box. You weren't going outside your box. You know what your box was, I think. So, um, and I call it the lifelong pivot. If you're an entrepreneur, you're in a lifelong pivot, always.
0: I'd like to hear more about your membership. And, you know, we're members of the Accelerator. It's relatively new, right, in the last two years. And um, what have you learned from running a membership? Uh, what What's worked well as far as Retention. Uh, what mistakes have you made as you've been building this membership?
2: Yeah, so I made the Well, first of all, it, I launched. I, I, I launched it because I predicted COVID. By the way, because I launched it in last December, and uh, so you can say that I knew I knew COVID was coming. So I had to do a virtual mastermind. So that was a really good thing I did, and it was it was a program that I've wanted to do for a long time uh, because it didn't involve live events. It didn't involve food and beverage minimums at the hotel. It didn't involve, you know, members complaining to me about their beds too hard and the toilet doesn't work. So it had a lot of advantages
1: um,
2: besides that. Did
1: somebody actually complain about the bed being too hard? Or are you? Are you... Uh, no,
2: they didn't complain about the toilets. Um, I did it at the J House in because in Gre- it has these, these space age toilets right. that, you know, they, 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 they lift when you, when you stand there if you're a man. Um and it lifts so that you don't have to lift the toilet seat. And then when you're finished, it flushes on its own and all that. Yeah, and I had people complain to me about that. Wow. So I didn't have that problem with Titan's accelerator. Um maybe they yeah, maybe they well, I gave them bathroom breaks, but they had to go to their own bathroom. Um so that was like a big plus, you know, that I launched it at a perfect time, and that was just the luck of the draw, or you can say it was serendipitous luck because I have been thinking about it for a long time, and the time that I chose to do it was the perfect time. Either way, uh, it was a great time to launch. So I haven't been in it. Um, I haven't had renewals yet. Um, but I'll tell you some of the strategies that I put in place, and I'll be able to tell you in you know, three months how the renewals were. Um, but I also did a launch in the middle of the year to add, add members, which I think is always important. You know, the idea of for a membership, it works with a once a year launch, because then you're keeping them in a program. Since my program is sort of evergreen, people can come in and out anytime. I thought it was important if I'm not going to let them in all year to actually do multiple launches during the year, because then if I I get a low renewal rate um, on the first group, then I still have a second group that's moving along and I'll see the mistakes of the first group. And I'll correct them with the second group. So that's a, that's a really good, um, uh, uh, prescription for how to run a membership group because you're not beholden to a date once a year for everybody that's going to come renew. And I did it with my high, high level mastermind too. And that, that group is 20 or $25,000 a year. And I let people in all year long because I don't want to renew everybody all at the same time. Cause, and I've had good luck. I mean, I've, I've been renewing at about seventy to eighty percent on that group, but you're always going to get people leave, and you don't want the attrition. If you know if you have one cycle where you get many more leave, you know that 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 hurts my feelings, and it also hurts the checkbook. But it's you know it's more my feelings that I care about. Um, but then uh, on on accelerator, another thing that I I a mistake that I might be making. I'll I'll know in a few months is that because of COVID. I my my offer was one monthly live call with me, with hot seats, with guest speakers, whatever, and then there was another call which was an, a live a, a live interview. Then there was stuff from my vault, you know, different swipes and and presentations from the Titans Mastermind. So I had it all dialed in. I was I, I send out a USB every month. I think there has to be physical product, is my opinion, because if it's all digital and it's all in in the ether. They're not going to think about it the same way as if they know about all of the ether and they and they see 12 USBs and plastic cases on their bookshelf. They'll see the value of that, that they can go back to that anytime. So I, I knew that was going to be some of my renewal strategy at the beginning. But then I got carried away on during COVID and I started going from monthly calls to weekly calls. I mean, I figured, why not? I'm home anyway and I love doing it. I mean- Again, I'm retired. I'm retired from things I don't like to do, things I don't do well, and people I don't want to hang around with. So, I'm doing hot seat calls and guest calls, and I'm having a blast with you know anywhere from forty to hundred people on a, on a live call. I mean, what else am I going to do? Watch, you know, I, I can only watch Netflix, you know, so many hours in a day. So, I over delivered on everything in the program this first year. And the problem with overdelivery, of course, is that, you know, what are you doing for me next time? And so I'll see if that's a problem. I mean, it might be. A lot of people told me it might be. A lot of people agree. A lot of people told me I shouldn't have titled my book Overdeliver because it, it, it basically uh, tells people that, oh, if you, over- that it, it basically encourages people to overdeliver and therefore they're going to get in trouble at some point when they no longer are delivering as much as they did last year or 2 years ago or whatever. I don't really buy that. Um obviously I I didn't change the title of my book. Um, because I believe in overdelivery not just in terms of the benefits in a membership program. I believe it as as a way of life. You always need to overdeliver to all of the people in your life whether, you know, your family, your friends, your friends who are you know, podcast hosts, and I don't know if I'm over delivering here. I'm certainly over talking, but um, you know, it, it's it's really a, um, a it's really a philosophy of life. Whereas, if it, it's not transactional, I guess is what I'm saying. And so, you know, and then I use the quote. You know, people don't people refund transactions. They don't refund relationships. So my goal is to develop, and I'm trying to develop as much relationship with as many of the two hundred and 25 people in Titan's accelerator now. I can't do a lot of one-on-one, but I do a lot of email with some of them. And um, you know, I know who I, I I know the the hundred that are already going to renew. I mean, it'll be a no-brainer. And then I did a couple other things for the membership program. What I did was like there was a program that I really wanted them to be interested in. It was Stefan Georgie's uh, copywriter um, training, RMBC. And I'm I'm a fan of Stefan's and He's in my mastermind and he wanted me to be an affiliate. And I said, well, I don't really want to be an affiliate because I don't take affiliate commissions. But what about if I, anybody who, if I, if I tell them anybody who, um, who, who takes the course, I'll give them a $500 discount on their renewal. So now I'm forward pacing their renewal for the next year. Um, and so, and, and, you know, I had about 20 or 30 people take the course um and now, you know, I know those people are gonna renew because it was a you know, they're gonna get a nice discount on their renewal. I mean it was a different kind of way to do it, but it, it I think it I think it was effective. The other one I did, and I just this is right out of my pocket really, is that I wanted them to donate to Charity Water, which is a um a nonprofit that I really believe in. And anybody who donated at least forty dollars a month for a year. Um, which is $480, which I don't see a penny of, um, I would just discount their renewal $200. So you can see that I'm, 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 I think the whole idea is how can you forward pace to the next year in year one while you're over delivering, I guess is what I was trying to do. And, um, you know, so far so good. I mean, I think I've I've kind of cornered, you know, a a, a lot of people that they really don't, They can't afford not to renew, you know, it's, it's so cheap as is. And now they've got a discount to boot and they can stay with me for another year. And that's going to be my pitch, you know? Um, and even the ones paying full price should stay with me because I'm a good guy.
1: Let's break back in here and talk about a couple of other things that Brian has been uh, mentioning. So, you know, one of the big pivots that people have made is the switch from, uh, In present, you know, events, that kind of thing, Um, or even, you know, meeting clients in person um, to virtual since we haven't been able to get together as people uh, one on one. Now we get together in rooms and uh, I think, you know, I can speak for me. Certainly for me, I think for you too, Kira, and maybe everybody who's listening, we have some serious Zoom fatigue, and it is it's time for us to get back together at at some point. Hopefully that'll happen soon. But just a a great example uh, again of being creative with your business and ways that you know we have to change.
0: Yes, and in addition to that, uh, we also are taking our event um, TCC IRL, and we're going to go online as well this year.
1: So we would love to get together in person, but we just, uh, we just don't think that the vaccines are going to be out uh, in time to get enough people there. And so uh, look for more details coming very soon about uh, TCC IRL online.
0: So what else stood out to you, Rob, in this part of the conversation?
1: Yeah, so um, when Brian was talking about the clicks on the dial, uh, you know, the the way that we diagnose our clients' problems, um, that also resonates with me. Um, it's something that uh, I've heard, you know, Dan Kennedy talk about. We actually, I think, um, talked a little bit about this with Eric Bakey, maybe not in these exact same words in a previous episode also. But just knowing that almost all of the problems that we solve Fit into very specific kinds of use cases. And, you know, we, it, it's almost like we have uh, our hand on the dial and, it, you know, it's like, okay, it's not problem A. Let's turn and click and over to problem B. It's not problem B. Click. Problem C, and and if we're smart about the way that we approach business, we can have almost templatized, and that's not really the right word, but almost templatized approaches to fixing um, problems that all of our clients have. So you know we see this all the time. You know, a client comes to us and they need a web page, or they need a sales page, or they need an email campaign, and you know immediately you start you know, turning the dial, okay, what kind of an email campaign, you know, are we talking about a retention sequence? Are we talking about an acquisition sequence? Are we talking about, uh, you know, a shopping cart, uh, things left in your shopping cart sequence or a warm up sequence? And so, you know, just sort of knowing what those clicks are and the potential things that we can do for clients, I think can be really helpful in addressing their problems and helping them more quickly get to a solution.
0: Let's go back and finish up our interview with a question about what it would take to build a career like Brian's today.
1: Brian, as I'm thinking about, you know, what I know about you, what you've been sharing, you know, the, the career that you've had, I'm curious, do you think that, you know, somebody listening to this could could listen and think, uh, I want to do what Brian has done. I want, you know, I want to be the the Brian Kurtz of today. What would they have to do to build a career like that? Is it even possible?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm no magician. I mean, it's absolutely possible. Yeah. You'd have to want to do it first. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that everybody wants my career and wants what I did, um, relative to today. So let's say, you know, let's say 2020 is relative to 1981 when I started, um, different, everything's different, obviously, but you know what? It's not that different. You know why? Because human beings haven't changed. Uh, and that's why Breakthrough Advertising was written in 1966 by Gene Schwartz. Every word is relevant, and some people who are buying it now have have basically um, expanded my universe to 20 and 30 year olds when they realize what a what an amazing book it is. And I'm on I'm on Gene's coattails for it. And they say, "Wow, there was stuff invented before you know 2010." And so they will be in a position in, you know, we'll say, you know, in two thousand and sixty to be able to talk about what was going on in two thousand and twenty in a way that if they stay with it. So one one piece of advice, if they want a career that would be a parallel to mine, is they've got to stay with it. And when I what I mean by that, they have to stay with the changes. And I haven't I'm not I'm not a Luddite, but I'm also not a technological whiz either. But you don't have to be. You just have to stay on top of it. You have to, you know, I mean, I'm lucky because I I use my history to participate in certain mastermind groups. And then they let me into their mastermind groups, which are far more advanced in today's technology and and whiz bang marketing and all of that. And now I've got a front seat to all of the new stuff. And then I relate it to the stuff that I already knew. And now I've got a one plus one equals three situation where I've been able to build my career further as opposed to just staying pat. So that's a very important thing. You've got to stay with it because a lot of people who I grew up with in the 80s and 90s in direct mail, they kind of gave up when the internet came along and email came along as a marketing tool and and display and SEO and Facebook and and Instagram. They, They just gave up. Whereas- and they gave up either by retiring because they were older than me, they retired because they had to retire because they couldn't make a living anymore, or they retired because they died, literally. I mean, they were older than me. So all, for all of those reasons, you know, I just kept going. I just said, I think I think everything online is the ultimate direct response medium with much faster feedback. And I saw all the benefits and not all the downside to it that a lot of my, my the people I grew up with did. And that was probably the the single most important thing that I did by staying with it. So then I could become a bridge between what I knew from the 80s and 90s and connect it to today. I wasn't sure I'd be able to. I wasn't positive when I was doing it and when I was in the middle of it. But now as I'm a little, I've done it for a lot of years now, um, I was able to connect it. I mean, it really was a true bridge that I've been able, and there aren't that many people who have, that experience so that puts me in a in a select few people of not having invented the stuff from the past and not having invented anything from from the present or the future but i can connect it all because i've got this fun this foundational knowledge that i stayed with all along so that's probably the first most important thing the second most important thing is that everything is about your relationship capital And that's a term I got from Jay Abraham, and and it's it it's 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 as important as staying with it and staying up on things and all of that. Probably more important. And it's not just networking. In fact, chapter ten of my book, I say I started with I hate the word networking, and I do. I hate it because you know when I was twenty eight years old, I had a profile in one of the direct marketing magazines, and it 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 told it it said Brian Kurtz, strategic schmoozer. And I, you know, I almost threw up in my mouth. It's like, what the hell is that? It's like I'm not the guy that's walking around patting people on the back. I mean, I don't. I, it just has a real negative connotation. And I had to, I had to really wrestle with that and say, if people are seeing me as a strategic schmoozer, a schmoozer as a guy who's a toll booth, I'll introduce you to him, and I want a piece of it, which I don't do at all. I've never done that. But that's what that to me was a strategic schmoozer. And I had to get into this thing that I talk about in in Overdeliver, which is you have to contribute first and then connect. So there's a big difference between networking and contributing to connect. And that's how you develop real relationship capital. And anybody can do it. It's not magic. Um, But you have to be the first. It's actually the first uh, principle of ethical influence in Robert Cialdini's Influence book, which is reciprocation. It's you, then me, then you, then me. And be the first to offer services. Um, uh, uh, actually, I have an, I, I keep I keep a, a card in my wallet um, that I've had for you know probably it must be thirty years, which is the principles of ethical ethical influence by Robert Cialdini. Reciprocation: you then me then you then me. Be the first to give service, information, and concessions. That alone, that alone. Over forty years, if you do that alone. You'll have a great career. Maybe not mine. You won't have mine, but you don't want mine. You want yours. And so, you know, and all the other principles of ethical influence are important too, like scarcity and authority and consistency and liking and consensus. They're all really important. And they go, you know, I I do all of them. But the fact that reciprocation was first, and not reciprocation like online marketers think about it. And that was one of the first things I, I, I noticed when I got in, I did a launch at Boardroom. And when reciprocation is not about, you know, be the first to give. If it's not equal, it's okay. You're not matching each other. And that wasn't the way they were defining it. They were defining it as I mail for you. I got 50 leads. You mail for me. You got 25. I got 25 leads. You got to mail for me again. So I get 25 more leads. So we're even. That's not reciprocation. That's just matching. And I don't, I don't match. I don't match. And that's from, um, um, Adam Grant's book, give and take, which is one of my favorite books, which is there are givers, takers, and matchers in the world. Um, and you know, matching's no fun. You're going to sometimes have to give 80% or 90% to get 10, but the 10 you get back is really good. Why not take it?
0: Right. Matching is what my kids do. (laughs) <laughs> Matching is what children do.
2: Yeah, but you know a lot of adults do it. Adam Grant talked about it in 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 uh, give and take, and it's it's um you know I I the way I describe it is I've never said in my career ever uh, I'll I'll meet you halfway. I mean sometimes you end up meeting halfway if you're negotiating a price and it's you know fifteen thousand versus twenty five and you meet a twenty and it's it's acceptable and that's just getting to a compromise. That's not really a match, um, but it's it's like I it, it's like either you're giving or you're not, and you know I will because I over deliver I over give and you do get burned sometimes that way, um, but that comes with the that's the price of admission of being an over deliverer being an over giver. Um, sometimes you'll feel like you got either cheated or, but I'll tell you even when I when I don't think I'm getting I'm getting a raw end of the deal. If it's someone who has had a track record with me that it never happened before and it doesn't happen after that one time, I still give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, it, it it's not about the individual transaction. It's not it's not transaction based. It's relationship based. And so that, you know, so I, I, I hope I answer it was tough. It was a good question, Rob, because it is it is difficult to understand, like after looking back for 40 years. Where I am now, assuming it's a decent place, how did I get there and I realized I got there because you know I paid attention i i um I always gave a hundred zero, not expecting return, and you know what I got back was just so much more, and you know you got you gotta you gotta read, you gotta pay attention, you gotta learn, you gotta be open minded all of those basic things of, of being a human being. But I think the, the key things, the two things, if I identify the two things, it was staying on top of what's going on without doing it necessarily, knowing what the hot things are. And then also everything is about contributing to connect in terms of building your relationship capital, because after, and, and then it, that ties into the ask from nowhere. I wrote about that also, you know, I get this all the time, I get people writing to me, someone I know, maybe they were a speaker at one of my masterminds, but they're not a good friend. I don't have a relationship with them. And immediately they're asking me, will you promote for me? Will you do this for me? I have people on my, on my, in my online family that I blog to every week. A guy, a guy recently, I mean, I don't, I don't know who he is. I just know him as a name on my list. And he wants me to endorse his book. First of all, I don't even know who he is. I don't know what his expertise is. I mean, that's what I call an ask from nowhere. That's an ask from nowhere. And, you know, and I didn't want him to pay me to do it. I wouldn't do it if he paid me. But I said, why don't, why don't you get into my accelerator group so we can get to know each other at least? You know, and I wasn't selling them, but I was, how do I, you know, how can, and I would, ne- When I I, would, I don't make any asks from nowhere. I, I, I pride myself on that. But after forty years of knowing so many people, I, if I do make an ass from nowhere, I'm an idiot.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, as we wrap this up, I have let's see if this question even comes together. So we've talked about um, you know the year of 2020 and the challenges from this past year and pivoting, and your you know your stroke and your emotional recovery and how challenging that was. I'm wondering if you have advice for anyone who is dealing with something that could be health related to, maybe it was a health blow or maybe it's not necessarily uh, a physical, but it's, they're suffering emotionally, right? From, or mentally from all the conflict and stress right now, what advice would you give them for the recovery, especially the emotional recovery that you mentioned based off what helped you?
2: Well, there's a bunch of things. I mean, I just had a call with a guy who had a, he's a friend of a friend who had a stroke. And so very specifically to him, because he was finding, he was like six weeks out from the stroke and he had a similar um, recovery as I did in terms of physical recovery. Like no, I mean, he has, he has some problem with one of his, with one arm and one leg, but it looks like it's going to, it's going to resolve itself. And so the advice I gave him, which I would give to someone else, not having a stroke, but having something equally disabling, whether physically or emotionally, is I said, you know, obviously you got time. Time is a big healer. It's always going to be a big healer. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I made the huge mistake of going to an event uh, about maybe six weeks after my stroke because I thought I was ready to go back like full, full time. And it was actually a, a great event. It was my publisher's uh, off-site mastermind with all their authors and everything. And uh, I went to it. It was in Brooklyn. It was, um, and I went, it was a two-day event. I went there for one day. I, I, I faked it through the whole day that I was in good shape. Everybody there knew about my stroke. They said, I can't believe you're here, blah, 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 blah. Maybe they thought I was looking like such a Martian that I shouldn't have been there. But I don't think so. I think I was faking it pretty well. And I, I, after the first night, my wife was with me. I was at a hotel. I went upstairs. I said, I'm not going tomorrow, basically. And that was a very important thing to do because it, 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 it got me to say, I've got to look out in the future, set a date, set a goal, but don't rush it. And everybody told me that to do it that way, but I, could, I had to prove it to myself. So I would say that, you know, whatever you have to do to prove to yourself that you're not ready to make a big move, a big pivot something that is life-changing when you're going through something, whether it's physical or emotional, you got to give yourself some space. And I, this is coming from someone who was told this, didn't do it, and then realized after I, I I ignored it that I had to do it. So that's where it's coming from. I want to give a little bit of context there. Um, in addition, you know, I think you got to have somebody to talk to, whether it's a shrink, whether it's um, a really close friend who always tells you the truth, and by the way, friends who don't tell you the truth aren't really friends. So, hopefully, you have a friend who will really tell you, you know what, you know where you are, the good news, the bad news, um, and be ready to hear it. And be ready to hear it. Um, but that's the way you're gonna. You know, if it's an emotional thing, if you're stuck in your business, if you can't make any money doing what you're doing, those a lot of those things feel really weighty. You know, they're they're tough, but. You, you got to have somebody to talk to at a very deep level. And if you have to pay to talk to somebody, meaning, you know, a shrink and don't go. And the first shrink doesn't do it for you. Go to a second or a third. You got to find the right person to be talking to. It's not just talking, but you got to have somebody who's going to, you know, give you some feedback. Um, the friend is better. The honest friend is the best because, you know, you can hear some some tough news from them. A shrink isn't going to do that as well because you know, they want to get paid and they want to get, they want you to keep coming back. So there's that factor uh, working in, but definitely talk to somebody. Um, I also, and, 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 setting a goal and giving yourself some time. And, um, I think also, and, and this is a tougher one that you have to, you, you know, once you lose your, con- an entrepreneur who loses their confidence or their self-esteem in any way, it, you know, that's the killer, right? You, you just can't, it feels like you're never going to get back up again, so I would suggest you should journal every day. You should journal now. If you're not, I would say to everybody who's not going through a tough time, journal starting today, and keep writing down something that good happened, even if it's the five-minute journal. So you have three win, you have three three things that you're grateful for, three um, you know wins of the day at the end of the day, so that you have a document, so that when you go into a funk. You'll be able to go to that and, and remember to go back to that document and look at all the things that you can be grateful for. Look at all the things you achieved. I mean, you know, if you're in a good state of mind, you can find wins on the worst days of your life. I mean, I remember the day my father-in-law had a massive stroke and I sat in hospice with him. He was unconscious, and my wife and I watched him die in front of us. And I, I don't mean to be maudlin here, but that was I I, I came up with three wins that day. Because I had to, because I'm writing three wins every day, you know. I, I, I the wins were, were were wrapped up in what what he meant to me, how he was with his two daughters, you know. It was, but it was so meaningful. So then, let's say, you know, five years from now, hopefully I'm not in an unconscious, you know, uh, having had a stroke, but that I'm I'm sitting in a hospital bed, having had an operation, feeling really sorry for myself, or I'm just miserable about something that happened with my business and I'll go to this, I'll have I'll have this written down and I'll have it next to me and I'll read it about the day that I watched my father in law die, that I could be grateful for him and what he accomplished and what he did and what he how how generous he was. So I'm I'm just trying to give both sides. Like and so if you're in it right now, if you're in the funk right now, the first two things are easier to get to than start journaling while you're in a funk. But I think journaling while you're in a funk or after an operation or anything, journaling is always in fashion. You gotta write to yourself. You gotta and 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 be, you know, be honest. If you have to put yourself down a little bit, do it. But try to really think about, you know, what's good. What have I done good today? And and a very simple thing to do without going into any. You could journal with with six things a day. You start the day and you say um, three things I'm grateful for. And then at night before you go to bed, three wins. Don't talk about what I didn't do well today. All positive. Three things I'm grateful for. When you get up, three wins. It's it's very simple. I'm borrowing from two different apps that I have, the the one minute, the five minute journal, and and Dan Sullivan's um, um, uh, uh, win streak. And that's that would be my that some days that's all my journal has. What I'm grateful for one two three. What are my three wins at the end of the day? Um, if you have a whole year's worth of those and five years worth of those, and then you go into a funk, think of how powerful that could be to get you out. And if you're in the funk, if you do start doing it now, at least it'll start letting you dig deep into yourself so that you can you know, make sure that you don't lose track of who you are, what you've accomplished. You know, I go into funks often. And I just try to think of positive thoughts about who I've helped, who I did good stuff for, because if I did a bad thing to somebody, I can fix that. I can, I can fess up to it. I can, I can do mea culpas from now until they forgive me. But I also have to think about some of the good stuff I did. You know, it's also, it's like, you know, uh, I used to say it was Jewish guilt, but I think it's true in every religion and every, in every culture, but it's like you do. You do 17 good things in a day, you do one bad thing, and one bad thing supersedes the 17 good things. And that's why you have to journal to write it down.
1: Yeah, this is awesome advice, Brian. Uh, you know, we're out of time. And so I want to thank you not just for coming on the podcast, but just for your uh, friendship, for being one of our mentors, for the guidance and and help that you've given us along the way as you know, we've we've gone from, you know, episode number twenty two when we first spoke to you, uh, to where we are today. Just thank you for all of that. Wasn't episode
2: one hundred Jay Abraham?
1: Yeah, episode one hundred was Jay Abraham. Yeah. And episode, yeah, episode 201 was uh, your friend Paris Lampropolis. So yeah, yeah we've, we've uh, definitely made some progress, but you have been a big part of that, even introducing us to many of the people that we've been able to speak to or, have, or who have spoken at our events. So thank you, really. Um, it, it's, not, it's not overstating it, I don't think, to say that we wouldn't be where we are today without you. So thank you.
2: Well, you had a lot of other people, you, you had the right attitude, you knew what you wanted to do, you, um, you know, it's easy to help people who know, know where they're going, you know, um, and know where they want to go. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I, I'm honored that you would call me a mentor, and in that case, you know, you are two of my favorite mentees ever. And uh, it's, you know, I, somebody said, what, what's a good podcast? And a good podcast is that I explored something that I didn't think about coming in. And I had a couple of those on this call, believe it or not. So thank you for that.
0: You know, what really stood out to me um, when Brian was talking about, you know, how we can become like Brian in our career, you know, in our in our own way, but how we can be prolific like he has been and he is in his career And the part that really resonates the most is what Brian said about sticking with it. Um, And his success came from not dropping out of the game when his colleagues were retiring or when they um, maybe were intimidated even by the changes in the industry over time and they left, you know, they left the game, he, he was there and he was continuing to learn. And we, I mean, that's what I admire the most about him is that he has continued to join new mastermind groups. He's in, he's, he was in like five of them at one point, um, to continue to learn about what's working today so that he can combine that with his knowledge about what worked decades ago and have his superpower, and add to the conversation. And I just think that, you know, we're talking about pivoting and changes. There's something useful about making small pivots in business or even big pivots, but to completely change what you're doing over time. I feel like we hear copywriters talk about, or maybe not even talk about, but leave copywriting, right? And move into something entirely different um, or get burnt out by it too. And I just wonder, you know, if we stuck with it longer, could we have less competition? And, and when you think about the copywriters who have been doing it for decades, you know, those are the A-listers. Those are the ones who are prolific. And, um, and I just wonder how many copywriters today will stick with it and will be doing something somewhat related to copywriting 10 years from now. And I imagine the ones that will still be in the game and learning and um, hungry will be quite successful like Brian.
1: Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. One other thing that really stood out to me is when Brian was talking about the givers, takers, and matchers. Uh, you know, that comes from the book Give and Take. And it, you know, Brian didn't say this, but um, the book talks about how you know, you, obviously, you don't want to be a taker because at some point. Uh, you end up, you know, with that reputation, like you're never the one that gives more. And and Brian is definitely a giver and over deliverer. But the book talks about how when you look at the success ladder and where people uh, end up, um, givers actually end up at the bottom of the success ladder. Um, Which you know would make you think, well, maybe it's not such a good thing. And then when the researchers took a deeper look at the data, they also noticed that givers also end up at the very top of the ladder. So there's this, yeah,
0: it's
1: this weird distribution where um, you know if givers aren't doing it quite right, they end up down at the bottom. But when givers are giving in the right way, and Adam talks about this in his book, uh, which you know I I would read again, it's a really good book. Uh, But when you do it right, you also end up at the very top of the success ladder. So above the matchers and above the takers when you're looking to make sure that you provide more value than you know the the exchange might call for.
0: That's really interesting. I feel like we need a masterclass on for the givers who are naturally giving how to be the right type of giver, maybe the more successful giver versus the one that is at the bottom. Um, because it might it might be confusing for many givers too if they hear that, you know, how how can they be at the top rather than at the bottom?
1: Yeah, well, and I think the one thing that's clear is, you know, if you're a, a matcher, so you've got to get exactly the value that you're giving. You're not going to end up at the top, and if you're a taker, obviously, you know, that's not the place to be either. And so, uh, how, however, we can all lean into giving more, certainly over delivering, as Brian likes to talk about it. I think is a really good thing for uh, for our careers and for everybody else around us.
0: Right, and the great thing about relationship capital and that concept of giving is that we all control it and we control it in turbulent times. We control it when things are good and when things are bad. And it's something that's a constant in our, in our lives and businesses. So, um, we can, we can take advantage of that and, and kind of think about that intentionally, uh, as other areas or, you know, of our business are possibly trickier or not working as well.
1: Thanks to Brian Kurtz for coming back to the show after three years to check in with us. As we've mentioned before, Brian has been a mentor and a friend as we've grown the Copywriter Club, as we've launched our event, as we started the Think Tank Mastermind, and so much more. We are just super grateful that he's championed us every step along the way. To join Brian's email list, and we highly recommend that you do this, go to briankurtz.net. He shares all kinds of information designed to help you be a better marketer or find his book over deliver wherever books are sold.
0: That's the end of another episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muttner. To learn more about how Rob and I can help you build a more successful copywriting business, visit thecopywriterclub.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
2: Copywriters coming
1: together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money.